Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means, Terry. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Who is the 88-year-old in the room that she was crying out for? Who is that? Who wants to be the old guy? I'm just so thankful there's people older than me. Uh, well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's a pleasure of mine to serve on staff here at the church. And I'm going to lead our Bible study portion of the scripture. And uh, as I make my way into um, our our portion of Luke, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter five today. I just want to share something um, just by way of introduction and getting started here. It's not in my notes or anything, but I just, I just sense that this is, is going to help us. Jesus is our help. That he, that he is our help. And I know I could probably, I'm smart enough to come up with another word to describe who Jesus is for us. But, but I really sense that the Lord is telling us today that, that he is our help. And, I, and I, couldn't, I couldn't shake this image in my mind. Like if I was, um, you know, at the beach and I maybe went out into the water just a little too far and all of a sudden you feel like get, your feet get swept out from underneath you and, and, and you need someone to come and, and, you know, rescue you, you're going to say one word, you know, Help. Like, oh God, maybe that's two words, I don't know. But help, help. And I feel uh, that the Lord would tell us today that Jesus is our help. I don't know how far the Lord will carry that for you today and maybe even to this week, but he is our help. We saw last week when Pastor um, Joe Oval was preaching about Jesus helping the, the man with leprosy that Jesus helped him. We're gonna read today in Luke chapter five uh, where Jesus helps the the paralytic, a man who's paralyzed. But I just want us to see this, that that Jesus is our help. Are we catching that? Are we okay? I'll move on, okay. Well, we're gonna read in Luke chapter five, uh, verses 17 through 26. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn along uh, there and and follow with me. Uh, I will have them put words on the screens uh, next to me and behind me so you can follow along there. Um, But I want to read the whole thing in its entirety. I want us to get a little bit of a context to what the story is here, what Jesus is doing. And then we'll pray, and then we'll just dive into a couple verses that I have a couple notes on. Um, I'm so thankful that it is Pentecost Sunday. I've been praying for some time for Renaissance as a church that we would experience more of the Spirit's work in in us and through us and among us. I don't know what that looks like. I got to be honest with you that my prayer after I ask God to give us more Holy Spirit or help us experience more of the Holy Spirit, my next prayer is like, and Lord, I don't know how to do that in a church. <laughs> like, I don't know what that looks like 100%. So that's okay. We're figuring some of this out as we go. Um, but we see some, some really cool things that God does. So let's read this together in Luke chapter five, starting here in verse 17. It says, on one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law that they were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. 
And Luke says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. The power was with Jesus to heal. And behold, verse 18, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him in before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? And he asked this question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? But he says, so that you will know that the son of man, speaking of himself, Jesus says, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately the paralyzed man rose up before them and he picked up what, was, what he'd been lying on, his little cot, his bed thing, and he went home and he went home glorifying God. Woo, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, Oh my goodness. I mean, I can't even fathom what that looks like. Luke gives us some understanding here. It says, and amazement, verse 26, seized them all, all of them. And they all glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Oh Lord, may we see extraordinary things today. And I suspect we already have uh, to some extent. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time that we can carve out of this uh, wonderful day and this weekend of celebration, that we come together at church and we exalt you and we glorify you, we worship you, we open your scriptures and we read and we ask Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would instruct us now. That this time belongs to you, Lord. We yield our hearts before you and we ask now you speak to us. Speak to us in a way that makes sense to us. Speak to us in a way that's helpful to us, Lord. We love you. We thank you and we say these things and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we see immediately in this, this uh, account from Luke is that Jesus is teaching again. If, we've been, if you've been with us for some time, Luke has been teaching repeatedly. Sorry, Jesus has been teaching repeatedly and Luke's been telling us that. But he's always made some distinction that Jesus was in the synagogue teaching or preaching on the Sabbath day. And this is the first instance we see that Jesus is not just teaching the people on the Sabbath, but he's doing it on some other day. It says on another day or one of those days. It's possibly a Tuesday. We don't know. It just shows us this, that Jesus is, among other things, not just a healer of the sick, which he is. He's not just a caster out of demons, which he is and has done, but he's a teacher that Jesus teaches us. He teaches us about the, teaches us about the kingdom of God and what that looks like in the applicable side of our lives. What does it mean to follow Jesus? He can teach us in this. And so Jesus is teaching. This is a prominent vocation of our Lord Jesus. And it says that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there amongst the crowd that had gathered together in this house. Some scholars believe this is Peter's house. We don't know for sure. Luke doesn't tell us, so we'll just guess. We don't know, but they're in some house. A bunch of people have gathered there along with teachers and um, Pharisees, which I love because the Pharisees at this point were like the strictest sect of the Jewish faith here. 
And the history of the Pharisees is a little obscure. We don't know much about them. We know that they, they came to prominence probably in the end of the second century BC. The, the word Pharisee just means like set apart ones. And, and know this, the Pharisees, in, in an effort to push against the Hellenistic or the Greek influence that was sort of sweeping through um, Israel at the time, they began to call people to, to living according to the scriptures, to live according to the Bible. Now, how many people would agree that we should be Bible people? Yes, we should be Bible. Huh. We should be Bible people. Yes, yes. And, and oftentimes in, in our culture, that's being pushed to and fro by all kinds of different influences, you know, whatever's going on out in the world. But God would call us to be people that, that follow the scriptures and, and look to the scriptures to follow God. So the Pharisees were like that. And the, the issue with the Pharisees is, is, is what started as a good thing for them. It got twisted and distorted. And because they were so devoted to the scriptures and obedience to the scriptures, and they created rules to follow the rules of all the scriptures, they became proud in their, their obedience and their religiosity. They're like, yeah, those people don't really follow God the correct way, but look at us. Oh, that we do. In fact, if you want some, a little bit of homework, Jesus, at the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 23, gives a scathing rebuke to the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees. He calls them prideful. He calls them hypocrites. He goes, listen, if you want to listen to the Pharisees, by all means, do everything they tell you to do. Just don't do what they do because they're hypocrites, they're proud. He called them blind guides. They were leading people into pits. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these theologians, if you will, have come from Galilee up north, Judea down south, and even from Jerusalem proper, the place, the cultural center, the religious center, the theological center of their faith. They have come to sit down before Jesus. And I wonder why they were sitting there. Why do you go sit before a teacher? Why do you go sit before someone? Possibly to learn from them, maybe. Sometimes people come just to critique or argue. Anyone here today? <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know, right? Sometimes, you, right? And it's really a motive of the heart. And I think Luke is inferring for us that some of these teachers of the law, and we don't know this specifically, over time we'll see this as Luke's gospel plays out, but the Pharisees and these other teachers are possibly there because they're, they're seeing the fame of Christ Jesus rise and, and, and they wanna check it. They're like, what, what is this guy teaching that's drawing all of these people in? And, and so they wanna, they wanna critique him. And so they come in like most um, religious people do. They come in and they cross their arms and they furrow their brow and, and they look at the teacher like many of you are looking at me right now. <laughs> right? And they come and sit in the front. Hmm? And they wag their finger when they say things that they think are maybe not right. I don't know. So this is the scene that we kind of come into. That there's a crowd of people that have gathered in this home the religious leaders have crowded in too. There are people standing outside the door, probably leaning in the windows as best they can to hear what Jesus is saying. And, and, and this whole scene is interrupted by an event. This whole scene is interrupted in verse 18 when it says that, this, that some men were bringing together, uh, bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Mark's gospel tells us this story as well. Mark's gospel tells us there were four friends to this paralyzed person. 
And all four of them had gathered together and said, you know what we should do? We should take this person, our friend, we'll call him Jim, Bob, I don't care. Let's take Jim to see Jesus because we think Jesus can help. Have we already said that Jesus can help people today? (laughs) He really can. He really can. Now these friends, they seem to understand that. In their limited understanding of who Jesus is, they at least knew this, that Jesus could help their friend. And so they, they grab him, they bring him before Jesus. They know that he's hurting. And, and it brings a question maybe for us to consider. Um, when, when your friends are hurting and, and they ask for help, how can we help them best? We can encourage them. We can, uh, of course, if they need money, we can, you know, they can't make rent. Sure, help them and all those things. If they, if they need someone to just to be with them, to sit with them at 2 a.m. because things are going, we do those things. But beyond that, we bring them to Jesus. And, and we want to do that because Jesus is going to be able to do things for them that, that we cannot do in our own, right? So we bring them to Jesus. Now, I don't know what that looks like. We can talk about that maybe in weeks to come, but I just want us to think about that. When we have hurting friends, we bring them to Jesus because Jesus loves them. Jesus is the one who loves them. Jesus is the one who can forgive them. Jesus is the one who can freely give the power of the Holy Spirit to to change their lives. Advice and and wisdom and all those things are great, but without the power, without the, 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 the locomotion, if you will, behind it, without the Spirit's power behind it, then you and I can't sustain the change that God wants to make in our lives. We say this often, but... Um, you know, discipline can only take you so far, right? There'll be a day when you're too tired, when you're just so frustrated, when, when you just don't want to go on. And this is where the spirit of God can come along and help. And Jesus, may I remind you, he's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. We're not the ones. Jesus says, it's good that I go away because when I go away, I will send you the paraclete, another comforter, the Holy Spirit. All these words you guys know. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you because he will help you. And so we bring our our friends who are hurting before Jesus. And it says that they could find no way to get in, verse 19, because of the crowd. Now, may I remind you who the crowd is? We've got some, some um, religious people in there, and then we've got maybe some bystanders, I don't know, and we've got some people that are disciples of Jesus. But this struck me when I was reading that this week, that sometimes, and this is going to sting a little bit, but sometimes religious people, right, keep people away from Jesus. <laughs> they just do. And I know that's not the main point of what, what, what Luke is instructing us here, but just look at it from that perspective. There's a bunch of people in there, and if those religious leaders probably weren't crowding in there, then this man would have had room to come in. I don't know. I'm just guessing at this point, but the truth is, of the matter is the same, that, that sometimes religious people keep people away from Jesus. And what do I mean by that is, is that we have, myself included, I didn't come to faith until I was late in my 20s, but I would look to religious people or people who went to church, and I gotta be honest with you, I, I did not desire their life at all. They seem to be, uh, is this even a word, fuddy-duddies? They seem to be lame. I felt very old when I said that. I just want you to know that. I felt every bit of my 53 years all, all at once. But they, they just seem to, to live a life that was sour and bitter. 
And it's because, you know, rather than people who had fallen in love with Jesus and had the joy of the Lord inside of them, they'd fallen in love with the idea of Jesus and with a bunch of rules to follow. And they just became legalistic. And legalistic people can keep people away from Jesus. They just can. It bothers them so much that, that Jesus gives um, grace and forgiveness so freely to others. The religious people lose their minds over this. Like, what do, you, what do you mean he just is going to forgive them? What do you mean? They don't have to do something to earn their forgive, God's forgiveness? No, Jesus is giving them forgiveness. It's who he is. He lo- so religious people are frustrated with that. And we see maybe some bystanders in this crowd. Again, I'm reaching outside of the text here. It's fine, right? I'm not making doctrine off of this, but I see this. There, there's 100% for sure there's people that are disciples of Jesus in this room. We know there are religious people in this room. And there's certainly bystanders in, the, in this room. I'm going to tell you right now, there's certainly bystanders in this room right now. And we're okay with you being here. Like you don't, like church ain't your thing. We don't, you, I don't, right? A friend invited you. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you just felt like some pull to, to bring you here. We don't know why you're here. It doesn't matter to me why you're here, but you're a bystander. You're watching. And listen, we want you to be here. We make room for you to be here. I used to say that people like, I used to be a bystander. You just kind of look at the outside. It's like you go stick your toe in the water just to see if it's warm enough to jump in, right? There are a lot of people who are testing this thing out and that's fine. Renaissance wants to be a church that, that you can come and stick your toe in the water. And I think we should be people who are like these friends of the paralytic who are bringing people to Jesus, who are br- inviting people to church. I tell people often that um, you, know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to share your testimony or to share your story with others. Like you got a coworker who's just a wreck. Anybody got a coworker that's a wreck? Right? If you can't think of one, then you're probably the wreck in your, in your office. You're the guy. I'm just like, geez. And <laughs> that one always hits here at Renaissance. I love that joke. So, but you don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to have like a, 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 an eschatology or end times like paradigm figured out to share your story. To say things like, man, I... I I used to be so anxious and depressed and I tried everything to fix it. And I mean everything to fix it and nothing worked. And then one day I followed a girl to church. This is my story, just so you know. (laughs) Then I followed a girl to church, right? Who invited me to go um, and I met Jesus. And now you guys know the story. That girl ended up married. I've been married almost 28 years this November. I mean, you don't think you have an influence on other people's lives. You 100% do. This girl, my wife, I desperately wanted to date her, if you know what I mean, right? Like, I, it's probably stalking at this point, but I didn't know it. That's what they called it back in the day. I didn't know but I really liked her and wanted to spend time with her. And I finally got up the nerve to ask her out. And she said, wait for it. And this will shock many of you. She said, no, I've never been told no. That's not true. (laughs) She said no to me. And and this is why she said no. She said, because I'm, I don't want to date anyone who doesn't go to church, who doesn't go to church, who doesn't believe in God. 
Like that was the line for her. And, and because of my attraction towards her, right, whatever, the Lord used that. I followed her to church. I met Jesus and my life never, has, has never been the same. We have more influence in the lives of other people than you possibly even know. Like the, your, your resistance to do something with a friend or your willingness to do something with a friend, right, can change and alter their future. But we bring them to who? Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the help. Jesus is the help. So they bring their friend, Jim, we'll call him, to Jesus. They can't get in because it's too crowded. And they lower down his bed through the roof, which is an interruption for sure. Um, verse 20, and it says, and when Jesus saw what was happening, he said, it, it, Luke says that he saw their faith. And then he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the question, you know, has been talked about many times before is whose faith is Luke talking about here? Possibly the paralytic's faith. He had faith for sure. Otherwise, he'd be like, I don't want to go. Don't take me. I mean, I guess you could say he, there's nothing he could do to stop them from taking him. But I don't, I don't get the impression that's what's happening here. I think they, these friends came to their friend who needed help, and they said, we can help you. Will you go with us? And I think he said, for sure. But I know for sure Jesus is talking about the, the faith of the friends in this situation that they had the faith to believe that Jesus could heal them and heal him. And, and when they bring this person before Jesus, Jesus doesn't heal him yet. He says this strange statement. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. So imagine how weird that would be if you were one of those friends who labored and toiled and, 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 and you worked up a sweat dragging your friend, literally dragging your friend to where Jesus is and you get him in front of him and Jesus doesn't heal him but says your sins are forgiven. It seems strange, but I think what Luke wants us to understand is Jesus deals with the most important thing first. The sin issue is the important thing. And by no means do I think Luke is making a connection between this, this man's paralysis and his sin. I think there could be a case for that. Luke is not saying that. He doesn't explicitly say that. We also know in other parts of Gospels that, that Jesus says to his disciples that not every sickness is caused by their sin or their, his parents' sin, right? So I'm not making that distinction here. But Jesus knows this, that ultimately the bigger issue for all of us here, whether we need physical healing or not, is our, our sin condition be dealt with first. That's what God wants. Like a healing may never come to a person and, and that's fine, right? Although I do believe God heals. Yes, 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 okay. And it might not and that's fine. But the sin condition is what God wants, God wants to deal with. And so Jesus speaks to the sin issue of this man and we could talk for weeks about all of that. But the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they begin to question in their hearts and they say these things in, in a verse 21. Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Blasphemies, just so you know, are just sacrilegious or, or irreverent speech about God. And such an act, depending on, on its severity and when it was, uh, or in the context of the offense, some of these blasphemies are punishable by death or under the law, under the law of Moses. And so they're questioning, who is this person who's blaspheming against God? Who's this person who's risking his life to say, you know, your sins are forgiven? And so they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And look at that distinction that Luke makes. God alone. He's the only gospel writer that, that includes that line. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the answer is nobody. Just a little thought experiment for us. If, if you've been sinned against, and if you're alive and breathing, you've been sinned against at some point in your life, right? And who can forgive the person that sinned against you? The only person that can do that is you. The Bible tells us that all sins primarily are first um, directed towards God. We may sin against others. We may steal from them. We may cheat them. We may do all these things. And that, that is for sure sins against other people. But ultimately, it is a sin against God. And who can forgive the sins against God but God alone? He's the only one. Hear me when I say this. Not you, not me, no priest in a church can absolve you from your sins. God does that through his son, Jesus. And Jesus is making this distinction. This axiom that nobody can forgive sins but God alone, this Jewish belief is a belief that we too would believe. We believe this. Nobody can do this but God. And so what Jesus is pointing to is that he is God. He's laying down this heavy statement before them. He says, I can do this. Jesus is pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, and this, he, this means that he is claiming an authority and a power that belongs only to God. Many of us have friends who know enough of the scripture to say things like this sometimes. They say, well, I don't know about Jesus, whatever, right? But uh, he never really claimed to be God. If you read the, the gospel accounts, if you read the New Testament, Jesus never says the words, I am God. And they point to that. I'm like, Maybe he didn't say those words, but he said he claimed to have authority on par with God in this story right here. That is a bad apologetic to, to, to disprove the, the deity of Christ. He does claim to be God in this regard. Verse 22. And so when Jesus perceives their thoughts, which I love, it doesn't even mean that the, the Pharisees and the scribes were murmuring out loud. They were just like murmuring in their hearts. You ever murmur in your heart? You're doing it right now. I believe it. I believe it. Yes, we all do. And what I love about Jesus, he goes, gotcha. And he reaches into your little broken heart and he grabs a hold of those thoughts and says, what are you thinking about? He perceives their thoughts and he answers them before they even can vocalize their objection. He says, why do you question in your hearts? Verse 23, which one of these statements is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Let me ask you the same question. Which one's easier to say? I'll tell you, the easier one to say is just your sins are forgiven. Why? Because no one can know if it happened or not. If I try to tell a guy who doesn't know how to walk to get up and walk and he don't walk, well, I just, I can't do it, right? So it's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say that because no one can prove it. But then Jesus says, but so that you know I have the power to forgive sins. Check this, hey? And he like tells the guy, hold my, right? And he tells the guy to hold his, anyone? <laughs> hold my drink. And, and he says, take, take up your mat and go home. And he does. He does. In that moment, he stands up, picks up his little you know, sleeping bag, if you will, and he goes home rejoicing God. Verse 23, 24 rather, he says this, so that you may know that the son of man has authority. I want to go back to this line. So, so that you know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. He tells the man to rise up and walk. This interesting phrase, son of man, 
um, is, is, a, is a common phrase used about Jesus. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, we see different phrases or titles given to Jesus. We call him teacher, we call him Lord, call him Christ, son of man, son of God, Lion of Judah, Master, Messiah, all of these titles. But the second most common title in all of scripture about Jesus is this one right here, the Son of Man. It is used some 83 times in the New Testament. And wait for this, in all but three instances, so 80 times that this phrase is used in the New Testament Bible, Jesus is using it of himself. So he is calling himself the son of man, which maybe means nothing to all of us. But hear me when I say this, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew what he was saying. See, there's an Old Testament book, an Old Testament book in the, by a prophet named Daniel. And Daniel had this crazy vision where he got to see into the realm of heaven. And in the realm of heaven, he saw this figure of a man that he calls the son of man. And the son of man was, was, was told by the ancient of days, which is God, to go to earth and to judge humanity. And so all, all for, history, for history, for a long time, the people of God have been waiting for this son of man character to come and to judge humanity. And Jesus takes this claim upon himself that I am the son of man. And then when he tells the, the paralytic, he says, your, your sins are forgiven and watch, stand up and walk and go home. Like all of this comes together, to, together in this simple story and the Pharisees and the religious leaders' minds just explode. Every once in a while, God has to get into our understanding of who we think he is and disrupt it enough. I want to lovingly say these things to you. Um, we, we should be people who are learning more about God continually. We should learn more about who Jesus is. We should know more about what it, it feels like to walk in the spirit. All of those types of things. You did not, hear me, you did not get a 100% full understanding of everything about God when you became a believer. There's no Google Drive that was downloaded into your pea brain, right? My brain either, right? We have some understanding and we walk out what is called sanctification, progressive revelation. We continue to learn and to learn and to learn. There is no graduation for you. Our graduation happens when we breathe our last on this earth and we breathe our next breath in eternity. That's when we graduate. So until we get to that place, hallelujah, we will continue to learn about God. And every once in a while, God just needs to come into your brain and scramble it for a moment. Because everything you thought you knew about God didn't really come from God, but come from tradition. It came from, this is the way the church has always done it. This is what my grandma always said. This is what my, my papa always said. This is, and they've got, and they love the Lord, don't get me wrong, but, but it's, it's not exactly what it is. And over time, we have this thing called drift. Over time, we get further and further away from what the truth is. And so every now and again, God just has to come in and just shake things up. God bless these Pharisees for being in the room with Jesus that day. You know, in my mind, whenever I read the New Testament stories of the Pharisees, I always go, boo, those bad people, right? They end up killing Jesus. But remember, their heart was so devoted to the things of God, they just wanted people to live rightly before God. And they just got swept into religiousness, if you will. 
It just became something else to them. Did you know some Pharisees actually came to faith in Jesus? We know of a couple, Nicodemus is one, Gamaliel is another, these, these, these real learned theologian, like super smart people who were caught up in the traditions of, of Pharisaical thought, found Jesus, God scrambled their brains enough and they began to follow him. Because Jesus can help us, amen? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm almost done. I got about a few more things to say. Verse 26, and it says, an amazement gripped them all, seized them all, manhandled them all. They were just amazed by what took place. Whoo! I, I honest, I'm telling you, man, I have seen, I have personally seen healings take place. I have had, I have had a, a healing that's happened to me personally in a church, not many years ago, had a really bad problem with my back. I had someone pray for me and um, my back started feeling really hot. And I said, is this normal? This feels weird. I don't know what this is. My back was hurting, now it's not, now it's on fire. Somebody could throw water on me, that would be great. And, and I'm telling you, my back was healed. Like in a moment, it was incredible. All that to say, um, I, I, I look forward to the day when Jesus starts to manifest uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, where we start to see healings taking place and we start to see all these things taking place and that we will leave church not going, man, was that song cool? Or wasn't Jeff very handsome today? Because I know most people, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Um, but yeah, I mean, but we leave actually saying, did, amazed that God showed up and, and touched someone. Um, I, I, can, I can do this for a very long time. I can, I can teach the Bible. It's what I like to do. It's what I find joy in. It's what I think my gift is, is to teach scripture. And I can do this for years to come. And we can get TJ and Samantha and others to come up and lead worship. And that'll be awesome too. But at some point, I feel like the worship service and the teaching part is just not gonna be enough to sustain us that we really need to have an encounter with the living God, that we really need to experience what it means to know that God is paying attention. And I don't, I don't know what that means for us. I'll, I'll finish with this last story for me. Um, many years ago, I don't mean to make it about me, but it's my story, it's all I know, okay? So this, so just hang on. Um, but years ago, I was dealing with a really difficult um, bout of anxiety um, this is way back in like the mid 2000s. And I was attending a church and it was so bad that I, I wasn't sleeping. I hadn't slept for weeks. I'd lost some 20 some pounds in, this, in about four or five weeks. I was just really sick with anxiety and I didn't know what to do. And uh, I walked into church on a nondescript normal Sunday morning. And one of the elders of the church met me at the door. And he says, he says Jeff, I don't know what's happening in your life right now, but the Lord woke me up at 3 a.m. And I have been praying for you for the last four hours. Now that, that is not something that this elder of the church would ever, ever have known about me. I'm saying that to say this, that the Holy Spirit told him something about me, right? We, we might call this a word of knowledge or discernment. I'm not hundred percent sure, but there's these gifts that the Holy Spirit can give. He took that and he brought it to me. And in that moment, like I felt 
more seen by God than I'd ever felt in my life. But even in the darkest moments of my life, the Holy Spirit came alongside someone else, right? And he came to me and gave me help. I believe God is going to start doing that in the church here at Renaissance. Um, I've been praying for it for over a year. (laughs) I've been praying for this. I, I don't mind if we still have Bible study and worship, that's fine. I want people to encounter the Lord. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking for the Lord to do. I want you to come and to bring all of the heavy, the burdens, the, the problems, the, 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 the grips or whatever, the addictions, the, the turmoil that's in your life. I want you to come to church because this is a place that's not just cool and fun to hang out in. And I think it is that, yes? But it's a place where others are seeking the Lord on your behalf and they are coming to you with words of knowledge and affirmation and encouragement. They have the faith to believe that when they pray, God will heal you. They have the faith to believe this. This is not something we read about in a book and we hope it works someday here. These are things that we have experienced in the church and we want them for you. We know you're desperate for them. We know that you need them. And we're asking the Lord to just start to walk us into that. Now, I said earlier, as soon as I'm finished with that prayer, I then go, oh God, but I don't know how to do this, (laughs) right? So we're going to walk this out together. But we know that Jesus is the one that's gonna help us, yes? no one greater than Jesus. There's no better help than Jesus. There's no, no, no more forgiveness that we can receive on this earth than, the, than what comes from Jesus. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come more you would help us to learn what it means to be a church that experiences you. We would become a, an educated group of people who have our faith, the muscles of our faith uh, stretched and worked every week. God, would you help us to be risk takers when it comes to praying for others? Holy Spirit, would you help us to to step out and do the uncomfortable for the sake of loving others? I, I, uh, I come with Samantha. I pray with her that we would become a family united. 
you know, Acts 2 does tell us that when the Holy Spirit came on that Pentecost Sunday, it was, uh, Luke tells us that they were in one accord. There was a unity of mind, unity of prayer, unity of thought, unity of trust, probably unit, just one accord, whatever that looks like, Lord, would you just knit us to be a people of one accord? And then we ask, Holy Spirit, you just come, you be with us and, and we're in, man, we're in. We have seen Jesus change too many lives to not want it for others, to not want it for even more for ourselves, but for, for um, our friends, our coworkers, the ones we know that are still stuck. God, you can, you can revolutionize um, this church. You can transform a city. And we're asking, Lord, that we would be a part of that. We love you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray for the next few moments as we do another song of worship, that you would receive the praise that's due you, that our words would speak, declare, would declare your goodness, our trust in you. God, give us an abandonment to follow you like the disciples did, to leave everything behind, to be just willing to go with you, Lord. We want to go with you. We want to go together we want to leave no one behind, Lord. So help us. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.